Welcome, welcome. Nice, lively audience for the afternoon. That's a very good sign. Um, so I'd like to welcome you here. My name is Chloe Garner. I'm the director of Ledbury Poetry. The Ledbury Poetry Festival is supported by Arts Council England, and we're extremely grateful for their support. And this event in particular is in partnership with the Poetry Society, um, which is um, a fabulous organisation doing all kinds of work from schools and education work to publishing the Poetry Review magazine uh, and much, much more. And so we're uh, really happy to be working in partnership with them. And I think Judith Palmer, uh, director of the Poetry Society, is with us online. Uh, so welcome, um, Judith, and our online audience. Um, really uh, sorry that Judith couldn't be with us in person today, but really glad that people are able to, uh, to come to the festival online. So um, I'm going to introduce um, each of our poets today in turn. And um, I'm going to begin by introducing Emma Pursehouse. So Emma Pursehouse is the third prize winner of the 2021 National Poetry Competition for her poem, Catherine Eddowes' Tin Box as a Key Witness, uh, which is a great title, love a great title. And um, I mean, that you can't really overstate what an achievement that is because the number of entries is... Uh, absolutely crazy. It's in the tens of thousands for um, the National Poetry Competition, so um, what an achievement. Um, Emma is a freelance writer, performance poet, and slam champion. She was the first poet laureate for the city of Wolverhampton. Emma writes for both children and adults. Her children's collection is I Once Knew a Poem Who Wore a Hat, another great title, and her recent poetry collection is called Close. So please welcome Emma Pursehouse. Hello, Legbury. It's nice to be here. I'm just going to settle myself. Um, yeah, I'm going to start. Um, this is a black country accent, by the way. So just so you can tune in, I'm going to start with a poem about accent and dialect, and how sometimes you're made to feel a little bit crap about the way that you speak. This poem is in the voice of two flamingos in Dudley Zoo. One is a grandma flamingo, and the other is a baby, or babby, if you prefer. Special, eh, we? He starts again, always moithering with questions. Great being a flamingo, eh, it? Always blethering on, he is. I like having feathers, don't y'all? No different when he was an egg. Tap, tap, tappity tap. No peace to be had. He stands on one leg. What was it like in the old days, Nan? Don't half remind me of his dad. I got the art to tell him, as though it's always been like this. The pond by the gates, the faces, the chairlift soaring overhead. Us, sky-watching, pale with envy. When I'm grown up, I'll fly the nest to Chile or the south of France. His enthusiasm's killing me. You best talk proper chick, I'll say, or you won't get nowhere in the world like me. He squawks. So pink he is. So pink. My wicked tongue holds back. I shuts my beak. I keeps it zipped. 
He don't know our wings and clipped. So, um, as Clavi said, I was lucky enough to win a third prize in the National Poetry Competition. That was a bit of a shock. Um, I was Poet Laureate for the City of Wolverhampton for two years, and it ran concurrent with the lockdown restrictions. So it turned out to be quite a different laureateship to the one I had in mind, which was going out and nattering to people and performing at loads of things. So I kind of went into myself a little bit, and Google was my friend, and I started researching things about Wolverhampton. And the poem that came third was a poem about somebody from Wolverhampton. Catherine Eddowes was born in the city, uh, which was a town then, in an area called Graisley Green in 1842. And she worked in a tin box factory. And she got actually robbed a tin box reputedly from the factory and got the, the sack, which meant she had to go on the lookout for work. She ended up in London, and that was where she met her end in Whitechapel in 1888. Um, so the poem is in the voice of the tin box and it's called Catherine Eddowes, Tin Box, as a key witness. Please don't ask me, sir. I wasn't the only tin box, sir. The mustard tin she carried her pawn tickets in. Please, sir, don't ask me to say what I saw. I wasn't the only tin box there, sir. There was one of tea, another of matches. Please, sir. Don't ask me to say what I saw. Ask the two small bags of bed ticking. They'll tell you, sir. Yeah, one of tea, another of matches. Yes, a mustard tin and me she kept her sugar in. Ask the two small bags of bed ticking. They'll tell you, sir. Or the needles in the red flannel. They saw it too. Yes. A mustard tin and me she kept her sugar in. So many witnesses, sir. Saw it all with their own eyes, the needles in the red flannel, sir. Yes, they saw it too, sir. Ask the clay pipes and the small tooth comb. So many witnesses, sir. Saw it all with our own eyes. Ask the metal teaspoon and the white-handled knife. Yes, two clay pipes and a small tooth comb. Ask the ball of hemp, the six pieces of soap, Yes, a metal teaspoon and a white-handled knife. Ask the twelve menstrual rags, the thimble, the button. Yes, a ball of hemp and six pieces of soap, sir. Or the red mitten and the broken spectacles. Ask them, sir. Twelve pieces of menstrual rag. Yes, thimble and button. They were there, sir, with the coarse white linen. Yes, a red mitten and broken spectacles. Ask them. Or the three-cornered blue and white shirting. Yes, they were there, sir, with the coarse white linen and the old apron. The old apron with a repair, sir. There with the three-cornered blue and white shirting and the cigarette case made of red leather. Yes, an old apron. Old apron with a repair, sir. Ask the handbill and Frank Carter's card. Yes, a cigarette case of red leather, sir. We were all of us there, sir. Yes, a handbill and Frank Carter's card. Please don't ask me, sir. Ask one of them. Yes, they were all of them there, sir. Dumbstruck I am. No words to say what I saw.
I'm going to do um, a few poems now um, from my collection, Close, which is published by Offers Press. And the, the idea behind this collection is that all the poems in there, including the Flamingo one that I started with, are related to people and inanimate objects sometimes that live around a black country close or cul-de-sac. So um, each poem is attributed to somebody or something. There's a canal that runs at the back and even the canal gets a voice in the poem. So this next little run are kind of poems from this. Um, I think it was Pascal Petit I once heard say, poets, we're all thieves, aren't we? Um, so this first poem is the one that starts the collection and it's in a voice of the magpie. Um, who is kind of the overseer of the street. A magpie surprises the teenager at number 17. Here I am, all swagger and chatter, poet-like I'm sticking my beak into crevices and cracks, prying into chimney pots eavesdropping, picking out mossy morsels from your guttering. I come to rest on the sill, peer in at your windows. My eyes are brazen black beads holding your gaze. I know you, don't I? It's night time now and the budgie man at 8A is in his flat. In his flat, he sits staring out at the moth-eaten cloth draped over his cage. He contemplates the stars and the milky stain of galaxies which may or may not be there beyond the reflection of his own room with its doppelganger light bulb hanging there like a mirror or a bell or a poor excuse for a moon. Idly, he sharpens his beak on the small slights and cuttlefish of his day. Early morning, and the woman who has stopped the night at her girlfriend's flat is heading for the first bus out. This is Mermaid on the number three bus. I know she is a mermaid because her hair is the exact colour of a chromis fish and is lit with yellowy-green streaks like sunlight reaching down to a reef. If I dove my face into its depths, it would, I know, smell of ozone and drying nets. Her coat is sandbank brown. Her nails, I note, are coral-coloured. Watching from behind as she rolls a cigarette, I'm still sure, in spite of nicotine-stained fingers, that should I turn to look as I alight, her tail will be coiled, Thick and muscular between the frowsy bus seats and my eyes will meet the full-on glimmer of her scales. The girlfriend of the man at 13A is heading back to her mother's. Five minutes on a Midland train. As the 12.19 to Smethwick Rolf Street pulls away from Platform 5, she notices it. The gobbit of matter stuck to the grey canvas uppers of her British night baseball boots. She takes a moment to identify its properties. Mustard dollop dropped from a hot dog she doesn't recall eating. Some hawked up yellow horror. She backtracks to last night's Slimming World salad. The haphazard chopping of pepper, pineapple, red onion, mint and bingo. It's mango. She stares hard at it and knows there's a decision to be made about wiping off or leaving on, about being bothered or not. And in that carriage, in the July heat, the balance between taking a pride and letting things slide 
hangs. At 12.24, the train reaches Coesley. She is clean booted. In five minutes, a lot can be decided about mangoes, about life, about death, about carrying on. The postwoman walking the alley between the back of the terraces of the low rise, uh, between the houses, the terraces and the low rise flats, is having a bit of a moment. In a backyard in the black country, I watch a man brushing his dog, brushing and brushing and brushing away at the thick black fur of his coat, and the dog is rolling, lolloping on his back with his long legs held in the air, this great daft soppy grin spread over his muzzle, and the man is bent over, lost in the moment, with a great daft soppy grin lighting up his face too. And the scene rocks me, stops me in my tracks, because love does that. Yeah, love does that. On the second floor of the low-rise flats, Moses, who is a refugee, is looking out of the window at the canal opposite. Moses is not sure quite how he washed up here, all eggs in one basket, so to speak. Stranger in a strange land and all that. But here he is. Two weeks ago, a card came through that gave him right to work, and so he did, part-time, a cleaning job. Last week, another card that says he has no right to work, so he stopped. This week, Moses, at a loss, has spent time gazing from his empty flat at bulrushes, which he notes are home to waterfowl. Not ducks, but other sorts. This morning, for a change of air, he's standing on the landing as the folk across the way head out, slam doors, and give him such a look, a look as hard as life. The birds, he blurts, on the water, at the back. The old man curses, walks on ahead, but the woman stops, blinks, swallows hard and says, coots. More ends, perhaps. And the difference? Moses asks. She shrugs. Not much, I don't suppose. She's thinking of the man, gentle as a lamb, who tends her sister's legs. Suck, she says, uncrumpling a paper bag. Moses takes a herbal tablet, tastes the right and wrong of her strange land on his foreign tongue. The woman from Dunroman, who used to be a secretary, is watching the butterflies with interest in her garden, in particular, the comma. Flitting below, between the jagged margins of the orchard, comma, hedgerow, comma, garden, comma, Making a series of brief pauses on the Budlia, comma, asters, comma, thistles, comma. And here it is again, thriving amongst the current bushes, comma, hop leaves, comma, nettles, comma. Escaping the butterfly, nets and cupped hands, comma. Taking possession of the air, comma. Fluttering out of reach, comma. Becoming an apostrophe. That's my little run from my book done, so thank you. <laughs>
going to finish with um, a longish performance piece. Um, I wrote it for Sutton Coalfield Folio Festival um, a couple of weeks ago, and I thought it might stop there because commissioned poetry sometimes does stop where it's where it's commissioned from. But this one in the last couple of weeks has took on a bit of an extra life for me so I'm going to share it with you and then when I've done that I'll end with a very very tiny poem which follows on from it um, this is a crown of sonnets and the reason why I want to perform this is because one Sheffield Hallam are stopping its English courses two Wolverhampton University have announced in the local paper that they can no longer afford the arts and three um, Dominic Robb's treatment of Angela Rayner for going to the opera and the way she was spoken to, as if something like that should not be for a person like her, for her, read me, perhaps read some of you, um, incensed me. And uh, this is a poem about opportunities and equality in having opportunities. It's a crown of sonnets for anybody who's interested in that kind of thing. <laughs> Probably everybody, it's a poetry festival. <laughs> <clears throat> it's called Thank Folio for Shakespeare, A Crown of Sonnets. When I was still a whining, snail-faced wench, creeping unwillingly to the school gate, afeard of bullies, physics, maths and French, all those tomorrows and their petty pace. Mrs Derricott, purse lips, no fun, inglet, slung out these copies of the Scottish play, which fell to desks and soys. What's this shit? Homework, read, acts one and two for Monday. On the bell, barred, blasted heath and witches are dropped into school bags and forgotten. With gym kits and half-eaten sandwiches, which very much like Denmark, will go rotten. I'm half-arsed, don't give a flying puck. It's Sunday night before I even look. Yeah, Sunday night before I even look, and I can't make no sense, no head, no tail. What fresh hell is this, this babbling book? So foreign to me eyes, it could be braille. This Shakespeare's a jackanapes, a joke. Who needs to study him this day and age? Last thing I want some baldy, beardy bloke canting rubbish. I fly into a rage, as adolescents are supposed to do, and cast the wretched thing into the bin, glare over at it for an hour or two, till around midnight, on a teenage whim, I fish it out and try it in the air. Then all that was so foul becomes so fair, yeah? All that was so foul becomes so fair in muttering and mouthing on proved wrong. The fullness of the rhyme leads me to dare to test full sound and fury on me tongue. Me fires burn and me cauldrons bubble and sex me ear and take my milk for gore. Oh, grey malkin, ditch drab, toil and trouble. What bloody man is that? It's got it all. There's boneless gums and nipples, gory locks. There's blind worm stings and hags and giving suck, carousing. And there seems to be some cock. Still no clue what's going on, of course. But devil damn me black, I've been a cream-faced loon because all this cussing's great and what a tune. Yeah, all this cussing's great and what a tune. But back in class, I keep my mouth shut tight. I've learned enough of ropes to read a room. You don't want other kids to think you might find modicums of interest in a book. Therein lies the way to a swift shoeing. There's daggers in kids' smiles when you look. Keenness is the road to rack and ruin. So I kept my head down, held my questions. Though I gleaned stuff from when the teacher spoke, made sense of her various suggestions, a coal's guide and me scanty study notes. Result? 
In amongst my U's and D's, there sat a big fat fuck off, eh? Well, fancy that. Yeah, a big fat fuck off, eh? Fancy that. It led to YTS schemes and the dole. The in and out of work, the 80s crap, outrageous fortunes, life without a soul, and dreams, midsummer nights or otherwise, were knocked out of us, pinched, then punched, then squashed, our courage screwed and sticking, thatcherised. Futures? Nah, mate. Things of the past, they're quashed. Dead ends and boredom start to sicken me, until I had the chance encounter with the fates. A sign, an epiphany. In sonic terms, it might have been a volta. Deep, in road to Damascus, bargain basket, there lurked ex-rental video of Hamlet. And this ex-rental video of Hamlet reminds me just how much I'd love the bard. And even though I hadn't really planned it, I turned my thoughts to college, though it's hard. I take next steps. Enrol in classes, learn of Chekhov, Kafka and of Ibsen. And this newfound interest in the classics, down to Billy S and Mel Gibson. Reading like a demon, penning essays. Years of work and grim determination. Even take a small part in a play. My ideas now are well above my station. Somewhere along the line, there came degrees, though academics matter less to me. Yeah, academics matter less to me than power of words, lifting from a page, the tumble twist of rapture as they're free to strut and fret their stuff across this stage. Disturb the atoms, ring out like a gong, to rend the air with sighs and shrieks and groans, fall trippingly both on and off this tongue. Shake a wall's foundations with me moans. Make so much ado about everything. Zounds, this performance is poet's gateway drug, was saw and dip of Shakespeare taking wing, that piquant taste of tragedy and love. Respite from bullies, physics, maths and French, when I was still a whining, snail-faced wench. Thank you. And... And a tiny, tiny poem just to finish with for anybody who is in any doubt of how not being afforded opportunity within education and equal opportunity within life in general can affect people and communities. I'm going to leave you with a small poem. All of the names in this are real. There could have been more names in it. They are the names of people in two adjacent streets uh, where I spent a lot of time in my youth. What I've learnt about drinking is... That giddy, tipsy, merry and squiffy are all good fun. That giddy, tipsy, merry and squiffy can become pissed, battered, slaughtered and bollocksed. And that pissed, battered, slaughtered and bollocksed can wipe out your mates like a plague. R.I.P. Major, Serge, Sue, Callie and Dave. Thank you for listening. Thank you very much, Emma. That's real poetry speaking for now, for the moment, and that 
felt really powerful to me. Um, I'd like to now introduce Claudine Tutungi. Uh, Claudine's first collection uh, is called Smoothie, and she has a poem in a recent edition of Poetry Review called Conversation in Leamington, um, which I mentioned because of our partners being the Poetry Society, so direct towards that excellent publication. She also writes plays and audio dramas. She's the winner of the Ledbury Munty Poetry Prize for Second Collections, uh, which is a prize uh, run, organized and run by Ledbury Poetry Festival um, with um, the goal of uh, uh, sort of uh, shining a light on, on what's sometimes seen as a you know, the difficult second collection. Um, but uh, Claudine's second collection didn't feel as if it would have been difficult <laughs> at all. Um, so I'd just like to... Um, in celebrating that prize, which um, obviously I, I feel proud of, is um, judges Sandeep Palmer and Naomi Shihab Nye's comments on Claudine Tutungi's collection, Two Tongues, which was the one that, that won the prize. Um, Two Tongues is often hilarious, frequently offbeat and utterly original. Her control of language, her wit, her dexterity of line and image, all these things make for a poet who feels well beyond a second collection. She revolves around her subjects with a maturity and elegance that isn't afraid to step into the lyric spotlight, but that rarely does. More often, what we see in Tatungi is a masterclass in language and form, a sense of adventure, a willingness to risk, and a voice that is brimming with intelligence and humour. So please welcome Claudine Tatungi. Thank you very much for that lovely, lovely introduction. No pressure. Um, and thank you, Emma, for that fantastic uh, set. Amazing. I, I can't actually uh, believe I'm here and not in front of my computer screen wearing my pyjama bottoms, talking to you virtually. I know these look a bit like pyjama bottoms for those of you who are here, uh, but they honestly aren't, trust me. I thought I'd take the pressure off and do not my best work. I am endeavouring to write not my best work. The onus, how I love the word onus, is all on me. It is a cup I cannot not sup from. It is a hurdle I cannot vault o'er. I should go to a hilltop alone and hunker down in a cave and then come back down and write it, but I am afraid of bats. It is a life goal. It is a long road with very infrequent waterholes. I'm not man enough. I am insufficiently male, but I can and I must begin. So um, I would just get out of the way straight away a big shameless plug. So this is Two Tongues, and I have to make clear straight away that it's um, the title is a complete absolute lie. Um, there are not two tongues, there's about six or seven or eight different snippets of languages and dialects and gobbledygook and stuff in the book. Um, my parents had a, a language training business and it's possible I spent quite a bit of time in the language lab growing up, possibly too much. Um, yes, what next? Oh, I think we need to just make a small amendment. We would like to apologise to readers for the mistake in last week's issue and the misspelling of the name Claudine Tutungi. 
In particular, we would like to make it clear that the person in question surname is not to be construed as tutugini, tutulingi, tutungi, tutunjaji, tauingi, tutulingi, tangerini, tututurini, Tallahassee, Takahashi, Tabugi Wugi, Tatsiki, Chinkamali, Tujiji, Taru, Tarali, Tutsi, Turtle, Tut, and furthermore, she's not as foreign as she sounds. <laughs> That's cleared that up, thank God. That's out of the way. Numbers. After your biggest mail out yet to 4,796 of your closest friends and acquaintances, Three replied. One said, yes, I can come. Another said, yes, I might come. A third said, no, I can't come. Then it was time for sleep, because it was Thursday, and for anti-aging purposes, you always tried to be asleep by five. In your dream, there were eight Toyotas, six Kias, and a Lamborghini. You totaled all of them in 15 separate crashes. Ended up in a hospital where you met a vegan, a shepherd, and a gerontologist. The shepherd taught you to sh- count sheep in Cumbrian, yan, tian, tethera, methera. The vegan was mute, and the gerontologist advised you to ditch the letter C, the number three, and all your relations. Well, all of them, you queried, but I have 417, and that's only my nuclear family. In the dream, this came out as enucleate family, which over time got interpreted by five psychiatrists as toxic narcissism, passive aggression, capgrass syndrome, low blood pressure, and angst. You went with angst because you liked saying, ich habe angst, because it had the fewest letters and because partially it was true. So, yeah, Capgras syndrome, as you may know or, or may not know, is another term for imposter syndrome, which is something I haven't been diagnosed with yet. I don't think. Not sure. Let's leave that. Um, Hungarians. There are a lot of Hungarians around at the moment. Hungarians in the park. Hungarians in Tesco's. Hudgevoy, they say. Hudgevoy, I say, though it's my only words. That man in the street making a racket, he's Hungarian. And the one who wanders past each day at four with the trolley and the crocodile hat, a hat for hunting crocodiles, I mean, don't be fooled, he's not Australian. He might want to be Australian, but he's Hungarian. All of them are, even the one called Lee Jean Zhang and Neil Webb, he's Hungarian. Oh, very Hungarian. When it comes down to it, every single one of them's Hungarian, even you. I've just met Emma today. I'm hoping she's not going to take that personally. Um, I would love to tell you where that came from. I've got honestly no, no idea. Just no idea. I mean, it's been a very strange time, which is useful for poets, because you can say, wow, it's been a strange time, hasn't it? Knowing that you're already strange anyway, so it's fine. <laughs> Zugzwang. I am unhappy about your description of my life as dull. It is dull, but I dislike you using the word dull. If I could, I would unhook the receiver from the wall and place it on your dirty mouth. I don't feel able to elucidate. 
If you hadn't known the German for lose-lose, if you hadn't the face of Dürer as Christ in self-portrait of Dürer as Christ, things could have been a whole lot easier. As it is, the slum donkeys of Marrakesh surround me. They bray with hindsight. Their arpeggios are pertinent. This is not a metaphor. This is the blue phase, which stems from the beige phase, which stems from taking too much of a run-up, too much virtue signalling, and fog, heavy-duty fog. And if, as forecasts indicate, there is to be more fog, Lord, grant me the strength to be dinky and circumspect. I always do that, and then I have literally no idea what to, what to follow it with. So just bear with me one second, one second, one second. Um, Yep, still no clue. Oh, yes. No, I, just generally, I was wondering what, you know, what level of neuroses and rage can I hit them with on a Saturday in July when it's sunny and it's Ledbury and it's lovely. But I'm getting a very strong vibe from you. I think you can take it. I think I can go quite, quite angry. This next one is a bit angry. Um, but uh, the only other thing I will say about it is it refers to the Hamzine, which some of you will know is the wind from North Africa that usually blows for 50 days and sometimes the after effects are felt in uh, even over here hams in on Bayswater the sand that's in my eye blew in from Africa and sand's a form of grit that much I know and grit makes pearls that lovely fashionistas take out for strolls along Bayswater Road I've no such milky jewel of clarity to pierce this darkness, translate the din. I test an Arab curse learned from my father. May all of Egypt piss on this Hamzin. May all the sand contained in the Sahara rinse itself down some infernal sink for coming right when nobody required her, when every path's distinctly indistinct except one path, the road to anarchy. Remember Gunther, was it Eich or Grass? Be sand, not oil, in the world's machinery. Your words now, say that, should someone ask. So that was a little flashback to Smoothie, which I will now also shamelessly plug. I hope you'll agree it's got a very fetching cover. Both of them published by Carcanet Press, um, and uh, yeah, it's, it looks lovely. It does not, contrary to what you might expect, contain any recipes for fruit-based yoghurt drinks. Um, but I do, it, I, afterwards I realised that there was a, an awful lot of beverages in it, so I think I'm just a thirsty person. Well, my friends will tell you, she is a thirsty person, she obsessively drinks water. Um, so there are a few drinks in this. Look out for them. Reunion. You're there in front of me, looking like the longest, tallest, coolest glass of water. You might as well have drink me written on your collar. My heart swims in my chest like a fairground goldfish trapped in plastic. And whether it's the fact we're gulping coffee after coffee from the buffet, 
or that every time you touch my elbow, things feel worse, or the way we don't make room for others in our conversation. I can't tell, but it seems to me your tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth, though it doesn't, and I can't pronounce the word I need to say. And even when my friend, your wife, arrives, it doesn't come. And so I say, congrats. Not even the whole word, just its shrunken cousin. And your expression hovers right before your face, but doesn't seem to want to land. Okay, so, so this next one uh, from Smoothie, still, is a poem about a depressed Gallic language-teaching robot. That's about all you need to know. That pretty much covers it. I mean, it could be a whole genre, couldn't it? I think the thing we should have the depressed Gallic language teaching robot genre, in which case this is my, my version of that. Future perfect. The linguisticator meets you at Carrefour. Un vrai galant, he buys you rouge à lèvres, offers socially accepted forms of extrication. If someone gropes you, say, arrête tes bêtises. If someone asks you why your hair is must, say, c'est le mistral. If someone asks you to admire that ugly baby, say, je me sauve and leave. The linguisticator is a veritable language experience. You programmed him in Oregon, but he caught a virus now. His Frenchness is sans foi off the spectrum. Sings Aznavour as you tour the centre historique and Piaf on the tram, padam, padam, when it clangs. The linguisticator can stop a tram with one raised eyebrow, one soi-disant eyebrow. A fatalist, he has abandoned caution with certain potent liquors of the region. Ask him if he's okay, he'll say... Le silence éternel de ces vastes espaces m'effraie. Ask him what irony means, he says, tout pour le mieux dans ce meilleur des mondes possibles. But if his ennui peaks, he suspends all conversation. Broods for hours, muttering, putain, je suis rien qu'un tout bit trompe-l'œil. Malaise on a loop, it never fades. So quite a sulky bit of AI, basically. I think he would pout if you, if you ran into him. Um, there's quite a pouty vibe. I'll just get a little sup. There's quite a pouty vibe to the next one as well. Still in smoothie. I hope the creaky floorboard isn't bothering you. I'm just trying to choreograph my poems with it. This is not a fad. <laughs> it's going to be doing that now. Because I think you'd like me better as an artefact, I sit for ages in the sculpture park. Flies settle on my arms. Because I think you'd keep me close if I'd been customised in a foundry. I will myself to turn to bronze. Rain falls. J'ai la verticale dans mon esprit, I tell my spine. Channeling Matisse, this is not a fad. Like the long weekend I spent being Danish in monochrome knitwear, saying tak in exchange for tea. This is for real. I shall remain here, unmoved by sheep and hedge trimmers, until you notice me. There's quite a lot of 
of sheep in my poems. Um, they seem to have crept in over two collections. I sort of did a little sheep audit at one point, and I was like, oh, my God, this, there's a lot of sheep. Um, and I don't know if it's because um, there was a time when I told someone I was Cumbrian Lebanese, and they said, oh, that sounds like a rare breed of sheep. I don't know if that sort of affected me psychologically. Um, but it seems to have crept in. So anyway, stay with that terrain. This is a little love song to the Lake District, my mum's part of the world, Rift. Pretend it's August. Pretend there's sunlight on bare arms, dappled water, louche marauding ducks. Pretend the sheep wear serious faces, slouch in groins of gouged-out rock, and far-off human chatters growing slack, losing all heft, until there's nothing on the breeze but buzzards, mewling, nothing more incomprehensible than that, nothing more consoling. And so now we need to channel hop right back to France, and this time to Paris to a uh, slightly murky cafe for a spot of murky cafe culture in two tongues. Contortionist. In the blackest recesses of Bistro Malatesta, entre les heures du 4 à 5, foregoing his liaison with Odette for the third time in as many days, Prudhomme observes a snailfish. Undulating round the hat stand's spine, the stalagmites of candles, its sad, small eyes, its cryptic lack of scales, wants to cleave to it, wants to shake the dipsomaniac in the corner, hiss, Ay, caramba, have you seen it? Here on the Rue Mouftar, so far from deep sea canyons, so far from home considers eating it, flavoured with rosemary, flavoured with dill, sees it, loses it in Gaulois furls, catches it again, its curl-uncurl progression along a velveteen banquette. It stirs him. Its decision in oblivion to be a thing of light, and so gelatinous. Thinks of turtles nibbled at by surgeon fish, Wonders if perhaps he's lost his grip, and if he has, likes it. Um, are we staying in France, or are we? Uh, yes, we are. We're going to move seamlessly from snailfish to marmots, and from Paris to the Alps. So this next couple of poems came from a visit back in the heady days of holidays, although we're back there now. But yeah, a few years ago I got to Chamonix, and uh, the only thing, yeah, there's a lot of French in this set. It doesn't always go like that, but you're getting the full Gallic blast. Um, in fact, this next one, I should mention, begins with the French for I like your hedgehog, which isn't always covered in GCSE. <laughs> the marmots are suffocating. J'admire votre hérisson, you tell the woman in the artisanal cake shop, because it isn't every day you see a chocolate-sculpted hedgehog. And in the forest glade, upon discovering that all wild bees are welcome at the bee hotel, you ask the hive, and what about les abeilles domestiques? The hive makes no reply. 
Likewise, the mountains, textbook blanket silence, and you below overcompensating, filling the void with topic after random chit-chat topic, le kilomètre vertical, the recipe for tartiflette, the conjunction of the Sirocco and fern that blew a little bird straight through the restaurant, the cat, macaroon, perdu ou volé, and the writing on the wall in the tunnel under the bridge, ici les marmottes, Suffolk. So tartiflette, in case you didn't know, contains onions, lardons, uh, potatoes, cheese. I'm desperate to get a recipe into today, basically. I, I didn't have one for, smooth, for a smoothie, so I thought. But yeah, it's, um, it's a very hefty sort of alpine dish, which is presumably what you need if you're racing up and down Mont Blanc all day long or whatever you're doing in the valley. What do they do in the valley? Let's find out. Glacial erratics. We drank unpasteurized milk in the valley. We imbibed the non-compliant polyamorous air in the valley. We got in touch with our authentic rage in the valley. We made inroads into inroads in the valley. We took the tops of our heads off in the valley. We held, as twere, a mirror up to nature in the valley. We ate the flesh of the valley. We bathed in glacial flour in the valley. We got a sort of stupid crush on the valley. We objectified the valley. We, to some extent, coerced and, to a lesser extent, empowered the valley. We bought shares in the valley. We lost everything at the casino in the valley. We exhausted the valley. We denuded the valley. We discussed whether it was hegemony or hegemony in the valley. We put ourselves through eccentric contractions in the valley, we died intestate in the valley. We came back to life in the valley. We expected a hell of a lot from the valley. We forgot the names of what we were looking at in the valley. We glowered in the valley. We wore approach shoes in the valley. We diagnosed a handful of complaints in the valley. We had a case of the vapours in the valley. We melted, thawed and resolved into a dew in the valley. We were entirely transparent in the valley. We added our innate natural charm to the innate natural charm of the valley. Thank God for that. Thank God we're at the end of that. That was all I can say. I always need a little breather and a, and a short little poem to follow, or a little short poem, whichever. It's certainly shorter, this next one, than the title, which indicates a very long poem. Several misogynistic remarks before breakfast, to which I could do wizened and perplexed as good as any maestro. I could do the tetchiness of Chekhov on the afternoon his samovar ran dry. And what irked him most wasn't thirst or the parching recognition he was widely misunderstood and that no one, not directors, not his public, not his wife, grasped the full twistiness of his output. I could. I can. But a woman's brain lacks the plasticity of a man's. I put my head in my hands like Henrik Ibsen at the Grand Café in Edvard Munch's Henrik Ibsen at the Grand Café. By small signs, we betray ourselves. People know when you are not 
quite right. Even if you're merely one who'd like to wear a fez and stroll about requesting munkin te kalam shui shui, because you like your fez, you had it from your grandfather, and because you'd like them to talk slowly, please, you've sunk 400 on beginner's Arabic, people know. Even the light caught between the blinds casts a jaundiced eye on your aspersions. What you want is not what you think you want. You think you want tousled hair and kissed shoulders. You think you want beetroot and ham hock and to rub your head against his shin like a cat. But what it amounts to is people know. They know you put your faith in soda powder swallowed by the vat to neutralise your internal acidity. Muffled as you are with sluicing, mottled as you are with mossy teeth, miniature as you are, you can't keep hiding. The amygdala knows its own agenda. The hippocampus lately likes to grass. Um, whereabouts are we? Um, yes. Okay, yes. I recently found out that the lobsters in still life paintings, classical still lifes, were often fake lobsters because the real ones would scuttle off when you were painting them, so it was too risky. And this was in a workshop. This was a random fact, but it was actually in a poetry workshop. And then I thought, that's brilliant. Oh, my God, I'm going to write such a great poem about a lobster. And I didn't. Uh, I wrote this, which has no lobster in it. Interior with still life. I left my eye on top of the sideboard. It had no complaints. It wanted a breather. It wanted to flip out, flop free, cut loose from the grip of my codependent lashes, my socket strictures, and crap about keeping up appearances. Screw all that, it breathed, basking on tissue paper. If it were a dog, it might have rolled over, but it didn't bother, blissed out in that posture, disposed to not take in what was on offer. Ceiling crack, wonky mirror, picture of a picnic, by Cézanne. Um, yeah, I think I've still got time for just a couple more. A celebrity guest star cameo and some birds, if you uh, can bear with me. But I um, wanted to say a massive, massive thank you to Chloe and um, to the sponsors of the Ledme Munty Prize and indeed to the incredibly wondrous, generous j judges, Sandeep Palmer and Naomi Shihab Nye, for, for their, you know, warmth and just amazing boost um, to um, myself and to Two Tongues. And, you know, great honour also to be on such a brilliant shortlist with all the other shortlistees and their brilliant books. So, yeah, a uh, couple final poems. Cameo from Cumberbatch. I was talking to Benedict last night on the steps of the old church hall. We were wearing our socks and holding our shoes in the dream. And Benedict roamed over far-flung terrain, chronic celebrity, the quest for authenticity, a particular energy drink you can no longer buy. It was springtime and nice to be shooting the breeze with such ease and suavity. He was filming a movie, or soon to be, with a mutual friend. His role, The Martian, Hers, the Amazon Queen. 
It cheered my heart immensely to picture those two on set keeping each other company. He perhaps suited in something prosthetic and rubbery. She, no doubt, bearing a quiver of arrows tipped with steel, Sun Tzu's art of war on hand from the old days. So thank you also. I didn't thank you lot. You came out. You didn't stay in and watch the Lady Single Finals, and that's very much appreciated. And thank you if you tuned in. Maybe you are flicking between me and the tennis. It, it might be a fun thing to do. quite like to see the mashup of my poems with amazing backhands and the like. I don't have a very good back. I don't have any hand. I don't play tennis. So, you know, if you needed to get your tennis, you had to go elsewhere. Um, but thank you again. This is a short new one. It's got birds. It's back to the Lake District. And it is, we interrupt this darkness. Shuffling across the car park from the pool in my dry robe like a damp, disconsolate cistercian, I heard them. Two peacocks. Their proclamations launched wide into the whites of the Cumbrian sky. Their maladroit plain song cutting up the backdrop of chaffinch after chaffinch, and as if from nowhere, two peacocks. Stately home dropouts, heritage park rejects, with a message from beyond, or with no message, but voluble on matters unfathomable. And in the darkness of my cabin, with my shut-up grief and neural scramble, what a boon to hear the boundlessness of those two peacocks broadcasting in Peacock across the night. Thank you very much. <laughs>